humanity has been trading with each other before we even spoke to each other. I mean, yeah. And obviously nobody knows that for sure, but that's the implication from a lot of the Paleolithic record we see. People traded before they spoke. So the internet is a communication layer that enabled all of us to speak together much, much more efficiently. But we have no native payment layer. Mm. And that payment layer enables trade. The communication and trade are the two things that combine to make this a supercharged, momentous occasion for humanity. And... I don't think that anybody, including the two of us or any of these clowns we talk to, really truly understands the, the far reaching implications of this. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Hello, my people. Welcome inside the Kraken's Den for yet another episode of the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. We do not have a guest for you today. Rather, this was a rip session without an agenda. Just Josh, myself, Dan, a few beers, and our unbridled passion for Bitcoin. We discuss a number of things over this hour, including the infrastructure bill, Square's new open source exchange, Bitcoin's indifference to regulation, governmental game theory, Bitcoin is a Trojan horse, sovereignism, slippery pigs and marine mammals, and much more. If you are enjoying this show and you want to support us, go check out the support section in the show notes. You can also follow us on Twitter at blue underscore collar BTC, and you can subscribe and rate us on YouTube or whatever app you're using for podcasts. Now, without further ado, enjoy the discussion. All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, plebs, future plebs, Bitcoin lovers, Bitcoin haters, everybody's welcome inside the Kraken's Den. Tonight is just a flat-out rip session. Zero agenda, folks. Zero agenda. Myself, zero preparation. Dan, zero preparation. Just me, a Leinenkugel's Lemon Haze IPA. Cheers to the great state of Wisconsin. Cheers to cattle, uh, open plains, homely women, and bratwursts. <laughs> I'm uh, uh I'm nursing a rogue dreamland over here. Um, this is a little variety pack I picked up from a local Costco. And uh it's a variety of colors. Dan and I are on video now, so we can see each other. So now we can show each other the colorful beers we're holding. Yeah, our videos for our eyes only though. Don't get yeah. any ideas yet. Um Josh, Bitcoin is fucking incredible. I mean, I, I go four years in and every stone I turn over, honestly, it blows my mind more and more. And I feel like I'm having one of those weeks where I, I'm just awestruck by this thing. Uh, so everybody listening to this, the conversation between Dan and I doesn't even end with this production we're putting on. We were texting each other for like an hour straight yesterday pontificating about our ideals for how we think this thing's going and where it's going and how it ends. 
So much so that I completely ignored my wife when she came home and I paid for that last night. And this could be a yeah, it just goes speedy on and on. divorces here, dude. Yeah. This podcast. Bitcoin probably has ended a lot of marriages. And I mean, hopefully, if you know, you know what you're doing, you leave your marriage with all of your Bitcoin because, because no one's taking that away from you. Don't tell our wives. Yeah, if we ever monetize this podcast, the revenues we procure are gonna go straight towards making ourselves whole after our families fall apart. <laughs> Yeah, that, that unchained uh, multi-sig wallet is not going to be hands-on by any wives, that's for sure. All right, let me tell you why I'm feeling this way at this date and time. This is the, th the theme for me this week that has really dug deep on me. Thinking about this infrastructure bill. I've been doing a lot of thinking, listened to a lot of podcasts, heard a lot of conversations about this thing. And I do think there's a time and place to get involved in politics, to lobby, to whatever. But if you zoom out, I really don't think it fucking matters because I, I think, and we were texting about this some last night, when you understand how this protocol functions and how the node network works and how this thing gets upgraded and enhanced, they're going to regulate this thing at some point. That's inevitable. Big players, institutions, they need regulatory clarity. That's just how big money moves into the space. But they're going to regulate a certain version of the protocol. And then, two, three, five, 10, 15 years later, the protocol is just going to adapt. And I think what's really hit me is just thinking about the recent Taproot upgrade and the enhancements to, enhancements to privacy that just happen because the nodes decide this is the direction we're going with a soft fork. It's a very basic comment, but it is unbelievable to think about that there is, there is nothing large players, institutions, governments, sovereign nation states can do to change this protocol from, say, adapting and becoming more private for users in the future. That's the theme that is really been blowing my mind about the freedom of a truly decentralized network. The two, my things, intro. the two things that come to mind for me when you talk, when you go in that direction with how the decentralized nature of this is going to change everything and these regulators are, they might as well be regulating the weather. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> the, it, it doesn't matter. Like, did you see Steve Dorsey and Square? They've dedicated a team at their company simply to... Did you just say Steve? <laughs> I did. I said Steve Dorsey. <laughs> <laughs> that was a Freudian slip right there. Jack Dorsey. Everyone's like, everyone besides the guys that we work with are like, who the fuck is Steve Dorsey? <laughs> Jack Dorsey and Square, they've dedicated a team for developing Bitcoin. Like they have an entire team working at Square to develop Bitcoin and improve the protocol, right? They're working now on a decentralized exchange. And these regulators, they have no idea what that even means, right? What that means is this thing is going to be completely out of Square's hands, completely out of the regulator's hands, completely out of the hands of anybody that wants to have any effect on this thing. They, they can, at this point, regulate exchanges like Coinbase, Square, Cash App, Swan. All of these guys are exchanges who are intermediaries who actually hold the coins. What Jack, Jack Dorsey... Is doing at Square in a huge way is introducing uh, a way to disintermediate themselves completely from the exchange business. 
So they're going to have an exchange that is going to be basically a DAO, something like uh, Eric Voorhees is talking about with Shapeshift, mm -hmm. where this thing is not going to be touchable by regulators simply because of the fact that there will be no people running it. I mean, they're going to they're going to produce a wild animal <laughs> and they're going to like they're just going to release this thing into the wild and they're going to let it turn into whatever it turns into completely open source. It's all going to be on GitHub. Anybody with any kind of global, anybody with any skills and the motivation can get in there and help push this thing forward. And you got guys at Blockstream working on this stuff. You got guys at Square working on this stuff. You've got you know, a whole host of intelligent people that simply want to see this thing move humanity forward. There, it, this is a slippery pig. This hog yeah, is going to just slide slippery. right between the fingers of any of these it, regulators. It is akin to regulating the internet. Yeah, I it's mean, exactly a, like an that. analogy I've drawn before is, I think we need to admit that if the United States of America in 1998 had said had come down with draconian restrictions on when where how and who could use the internet it probably would have impaired the internet for a period of time okay but i think we all understand in hindsight the internet protocol stack itself was such a paradigm shifting discovery there's no way that was going to be held down for long you can yeah, only it, resist gravity for so long. And I, Bitcoin has all those, in, those characteristics and then some to another extent. And so this is what's so interesting and one could say scary about regulation and headwinds is that if a country misses this, okay, like China right now is missing this. They're regulating the living fuck out of it, banning mining, this could be a broken leg at the beginning of the most important race of the next several hundred years for nation states. And so there is tremendous consequence for getting this wrong. And there's tremendous opportunity for getting this right. Play that from out. A regulatory though. political standpoint, in my humble opinion. Think about what would have happened here in the United States if they had had draconian measures to cripple the internet back in the late 90s. Silicon Valley Google, would not exist as we know it today. That's exactly where I was going. Google, Facebook, all of these crown jewels of the United States, the, the companies that are the top of the S&P 500 right now, simply wouldn't exist in the, in, the, in the way they do now. They would still exist, I think. They would be in other, they'd be other, in other geographical locations. They wouldn't be adding to the tax base of the United States. Because the United States took a hands-off approach to this, we were rewarded by all of these insane concepts that nobody could have predicted in 1998 that were going to flourish in 2012 through 2020. And so it's exactly the same thing. Like we would be crippling ourselves uh, at the beginning of the race, like you said, and, and we don't even know by what measure because it's so early in this thing. It would be like trying to predict... Twitter in 1998. Nobody, mm -hmm. nobody could have predicted that. Right. So this is the scenario that's so, that's, that's so crazy. So let, let's say that in, let's say that this infrastructure bill rolls out as expected and they either fill out the wording that already exists or add some things and they feel like they've got a handle on this, right? Okay, so we kind of are starting to understand this Bitcoin thing. 
We're able to see the transactions. The ledger is fairly transparent. We can trace people back to origins, all these different things. Now, I'm talking a little bit out of turn here, but I have heard a little bit about cross-input signature aggregation. And other... It's a fancy-sounding string of words. Potential upgrades, and this is probably going to out me as as the tech dunce that I am in this space, but other, let's say, opportunities in the future that, that essentially make every transaction a coin join of sorts, right? That just totally obscures who owns what and what movies, what uh, money is moving where. Right. So where I'm going with this is they regulate this thinking they have an understanding of how the protocol works. Then the node operators six years from now, decide to do the same thing they just did with Taproot. They don't need anyone's permission. They don't have to go through any governing body. They can just simply upgrade their software to this new version, soft fork of the protocol with massive degrees of anonymity and pseudonymity and privacy that don't exist currently. And they're the regulators and the politicians sit with sand in their hands seeping through their fingers because <laughs> what they regulated doesn't exist anymore. I think this is what's really landed for me yeah. as I've started to digest what just happened with Taproot and the potential for future upgrades. It's not even just that. It's So two of the other cryptocurrencies that have come to mind when I think of privacy, Monero and Zcash. And those two protocols have... And <clears throat> again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim my complete ignorance to how a lot of this stuff works in the background, but... Monero specifically, the IRS has put a bounty out for anyone that can break it because they're so pissed that they, they have no ability at all to look and peer into this blockchain whatsoever. That technology, I mean, in, theoretically, could be, could be plunked right onto Bitcoin in some future. That uh, I mean, I, would, I think right now the primary reason is that the technology is so nascent that nobody wants to take the chance on Bitcoin. But let's give that thing five to 10 more years and see how robust it is. And we don't even have to worry about coin joins. This thing will just completely obfuscate the entire thing yeah, to the point where it, nobody can touch it. It really is the ultimate Trojan horse. <clears throat> I mean, dude, when Preston Pish starts talking about Bitcoin as a Trojan horse, I just get fully torqued. <laughs> By the way, that Preston is. He is the big bass we're trying to hook. He's the he's the large sea critter. We have not made. We've only seen his tail. We've seen his tail (laughs) a few times. He's he's liked some of our stuff on Twitter. He's even commented once or twice that that thing's a fourteen foot wide tail waving at us. We just haven't seen the head rear. We have had some outstanding guests the last month. I think we've both been pleasantly surprised with who we've gotten on and then how fruitful the conversations have been. And I'm here to tell you, we're not going to drop names right now, but we have a really exciting September coming up. We have a, uh, the month is booked. We've got a host of awesome guests. Um, We have not made an attempt at Preston, but he is our white Buffalo. I would say (laughs) he is our dream get. And I don't know how I'm going to be able to talk to that guy without just preening with like, like I'm trying to blow him the whole time. He's literally the guy that turned me on to this entire situation in Bitcoin in general. Like in 2016 and 17, I listened to them quite a bit. And he started in late 2016, he started mentioning Bitcoin here and there on a a random show and like in and out. 
he'd never like dive deep into it, but he'd mention it. And it was just like a tease. And then like, he just went full blown down the rabbit hole. And I think Stig was like, just beside him. Like, I remember a couple of times they have like mastermind sessions. Uh, it was like quarterly with like four guys and they'd each pick it, pick their stock pick for the quarter that to see who would outperform who. And Preston yeah. would continually pick Bitcoin and they'd all look at him and it, you could hear the, like the room would be like, dude, are you fucking kidding me again? You're picking Bitcoin again. Yeah. And the guy's a savage. He is. He is like that unbelievably hot chick that you're scared to talk to, at least for Josh and I, that's where we're at. So if, if you want him on the show, tweet at him and tell him Dan and Josh are too bashful to, to ask for you yet, but yeah, we're just, we'd love to have you on the show. We're too scared to get turned down for prom, you know? Yeah. What I, what I uh, identify with, I think with Pish is I see a lot of myself in Preston. He's a little bit. <laughs> Go on, Dan. No, no this, okay, is so, this is adorable. Here's what I know. It's so cute. Here's what I mean by that. And I think you, the audience doesn't have a background with me, but I am not the personality or financial mind that you would expect to be obsessed with Bitcoin. I have held a fairly can, aggressive, but super traditional equity portfolio. Um, I am extremely risk averse. Dan invests like an old man. I do. <laughs> Successfully. 60, 40 like portfolio. 100%. And, and uh, yeah, I'm just not someone you would expect to be obsessed with Bitcoin. And a lot of people that do trust me financially, family and friends, as they have gotten a feel for how obsessed I'm becoming with this and how good of a trade I think this is. And I'm now verbalizing to people, I think it's imperative you own some of this. People are extremely surprised and in some ways agitated that I'm so into this. I think Preston's had a similar experience in that he is a value investing Buffett head who you would not expect to be all in on Bitcoin. But at the end of the day, this is about incentives. It's about investment fundamentals. And you just, once you start seeing this thing, man, you cannot unsee it. It just, it makes way too much sense. And he has the conviction in the ball sack to go for it. Yeah. And he's been rewarded and he will I, continue to be rewarded because of his intellectual integrity and relentless curiosity. We said this last night when we were, I said this last night when we were texting. I think that, I'm, I'm, I pause to say Bitcoin and I would say overriding the internet is probably <clears throat> the biggest thing to happen to humanity since the printing press. I firmly believe the printing press is the, the, the impetus for everything that we have today. The last 500 years of huge growth and exponential growth in humanity is, is primarily from the printing press. Just because of getting just the, the information, information out there. Yeah, exactly. And I think the internet supercharged that in a, in a way that won't be really that obvious for probably another hundred years when people look back on it and say, holy shit, look at the growth from this, you know, X to Y. But I think Bitcoin riding on top of the internet is an exponent on top of that, that is just going to make this thing massively, massively bigger. Just, I mean, I forget who said it. I read this somewhere. I'm going to steal it and rip it right off, but it's... It, humanity, I think it was Jack Dorsey, actually. One of the 
before we even Steve spoke Dorsey? to each other. It might have been Steve Dorsey. I mean, he's such a philosopher. Humanity has been trading with each other before we even spoke to each other. I mean, and yeah. obviously nobody knows that for sure, but that's the implication from a lot of the Paleolithic record we see. People traded before they spoke. And we, so the internet is a communication layer that enabled all of us to speak together much, much more efficiently. But we have no native payment layer. <clears throat> and the mm. payment layer enables trade. The communication and trade are the two things that combine to make this a supercharged, momentous occasion for humanity. And I don't think that anybody, including the two of us or any of these clowns we talk to, really, truly understands the, the far-reaching implications of this. Yeah, another thought I have if we're going back to the roots of humanity is thinking about how we are evolutionarily hardwired to value scarcity as a species. I mean, yeah. that's part of hunger and thirst and survival is an, an innate biological gravitation towards scarcity, which a surveillance of, all, of, of mankind reveals that that's the case. I don't even think it's just scarcity, though. I think even more than scarcity, and this is just a flowing thought I'm having right now, is safety. Flow it. Safety, safety yeah. overrides everything in a general person's mind. Like, the reason that our ancestors weren't the ones that were eaten by that tiger in the grass is because we were scared and didn't go near that grass. And I think that explains why the two of us are always dumbfounded as to why in the world is there $200 trillion or 300 whatever it is, trillion dollars floating around in negative yielding or shitty yielding bonds that are not returning even inflation because yeah. people are absolutely scared and they're reaching for safety. I think even people that aren't financially educated, I think a lot of folks have an understanding that what's happening right now on a macro level in the global economy doesn't make any sense. You know, we've yeah. talked about that on the show a little bit. There's just this like, wait, how is everything quote unquote booming when it's point blank obvious that productivity is down? Things feel artificial and it's almost like there's a 16,000 year old homo sapiens standing in the wilderness and you're starting to, there's, start, there's blind spots around you. You're starting to hear funny noises in the jungle. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are starting to look over both their shoulders going, what the fuck is going on here? Okay. And yeah. I'm telling you, if you're listening and you have that spidey sense, keep digging into it because it doesn't make any sense. It is extremely artificial. There's not much reality in bedrock in the, in the existing system other than Bitcoin, to be honest with you. This is the one thing you can get your hands on. You can fully digest and look, look at it because it's completely transparent. It's fair and it's right in front of your face because of its design. Um, and I think, I think that is a lot of the allure of Bitcoin right now for a lot of people. I would also argue that Bitcoin is literally the only thing you can actually own. Full stop. Because let's even go as far as saying gold bars. Like I'm freaking yeah, I out. I think, yeah. I think the world's ending, right? I'm going to buy a bunch of gold bars. I'm going to stack them in my basement. Well, those gold bars are only owned by you when you physically possess them, right? Like if they're, if you think the world is seriously ending and you're scared of shit, someone is going to show up at your door and they're going to just steal those gold bars from you. Like physical force is going to take those away. Physical force can't take Bitcoin away from you. I mean, short of, 
you could argue that they could put a gun to your head and say, give me your keys. And, and unless you've got a pretty good security scheme, you're just going to give them up. So I would see that for sure. But if you're smart about it and you don't leave this shit on an, in an obvious place in your house, nobody can physically take your Bitcoin from you ever. Yeah. And there's just nothing else you can own that someone can't just freeze your account or literally take it away from you. Yeah. I mean, this thing grants sovereignty over your hard-earned value in a way that's never existed in human history. It's an absolute mindfuck. I'm looking for a Twitter right, uh, a tweet right now, too, about Africa. I think I did like three quote tweets on this thing. Yeah. Africa now has the largest amount of Bitcoin peer-to-peer trading volume in the world, even more than North America. That's awesome. Unbelievable. And it it parlays right into what we're saying. Why do you think people in the third world are enamored with this thing? It's because it's something that they can actually own, that their despotic government can't get a, get their hands on. Yeah. It's I not think, their, I think their the currency third that's world, getting devalued at, you know, a th- 10% a month or something. The third world is manifesting in front of our eyes why a digital bearer asset is so important so paradigm shifting you just can't escape this discovery and and they're the ones that need it the most in the world right now and they are discovering it in droves yeah it's i mean it's exactly what you want to see happening i really hope that people that are in dire need of having some way to hold on to their value in perpetuity get get this you know like El Salvador is going to be an interesting case. I mean, we've talked about this before, but I think it's September 9th when they're trading in Bitcoin goes live on September 9th in uh, El Salvador. So it should be really interesting to see what happens down there, how this all works. I mean, I hope, I hope they've had everything set up correctly and it doesn't turn into a, an explosion of problems for them because it would, look, it would be egg on a lot of people's face if it does. Yeah. But I'm, I'm confident that uh, Mahler's has got it figured out. One conundrum that exists with this thing right now and this is one of the i i quote tweeted the documenting bitcoin tweet i just mentioned about africa having the largest amount of bitcoin peer-to-peer trading volume in the world and i said the bitcoin protocol will not simultaneously onboard billions of the world's unbanked and allow for perfect regulatory clarity within the incumbent financial system Policymakers will need to adapt to the 800-pound gorilla that just entered the room. That's the tricky thing with Bitcoin, and I think that's something that uh, a lot of power players in the Western world are going to have to grapple with, is you cannot, as, the, as I just mentioned, simultaneously onboard tons of people that aren't in the existing financial system and provide that freedom and inclusion while at the same time having a perfect peg on every participant in the financial system. It's not possible. Um, and nor is it going to be something they're going to be able to stop, but it's going to take them a while to figure out that, that this thing is just, as we said earlier, it is a slippery, and I mean slippery hog, <laughs> that is going to feed whether you like it or not. The thing about, and we keep saying this is a slippery hog, but when you think about it, like, so regulators take months, even years sometimes to figure out what they're going to regulate, how they're going to do it, the language they're going to use while everyone argues in Congress or whatever mm. institution in your country is the one that passes the laws. 
while at the same time, these guys who are writing code are simply in real time listening to your discussion and they're finding ways around it right now. And there's no one that's sitting and deliberating here like, hmm, how is Bitcoin going to come at this thing? No, we're just going to do it. And there's going to be 10 implementations of it and we're going to pick the best one. And that's it. That's just the way it will happen. Yeah. And while the Senate votes and then it moves over to the the House of Representatives and two years later, you have a bill. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's it's literally already been worked around. Yeah. The most prolific programmers and computer scientists in the world have done a complete spin move on you. (laughs) It's like um, it's almost like watching um, someone get put, you know, frozen in slow motion and you have to fight that guy like no problem. You could be 10 yeah. times weaker than that guy, but you're faster because you're, you're literally just 10 times faster. You just can't be stopped. There's, it's, it's incredible to understand this and, and realize that these regulators truly think that they're going to make some impact on it. It's, well, and he, it's I think cute. this is, this is what scares me a little bit. And I think it should. Um, if you're a Chinese miner, you just got completely screwed. Okay. Now, maybe you could, maybe you moved your hardware, hardware on your in Kazakhstan or the United States, but one way or another, your business model and the security you had and the cash flows you were relying on just got significantly impaired by the regulatory regime in, in China. And the same thing can happen in the United States. The same thing could happen to you and I right? Bitcoin holders in the US. Maybe there's some insane wealth tax that comes to Bitcoiners, yada, yada, yada. They could do all kinds of things. But Bitcoin's bigger than you and I. Maybe short term, we get screwed. But this is a global monetary network and the water is just going to flow to the low ground. This is what I think US regulators need to understand. And I'm, I'm speaking to them right now. Do not impair innovation in this space because it... The, this space is going to be innovated on, okay? Whether it happens in the United States or not is up to you. But if you regulate this into obscurity here in the U.S., it's just going to move elsewhere. Not only that, the people that own Bitcoin in this country, I mean, this country owns more Bitcoin than any other country in the world. The people that own Bitcoin aren't stupid. America. I'll, uh, I mean, I can speak for myself. I can guarantee you that I'll figure out a way to get it out of here. And I'll never, and there's not going to be a trace that I ever owned it. Yeah. Your name I mean, is Stephen Dorsey. Yeah. Well, you got to prove it. Stephen Dorsey. It'll be in, it'll all be in Stephen Dorsey's name. I mean, with the tools at hand right now, a coin join and a new wallet will solve that entire problem. Yeah. Yeah, you know where I'm going with that though, right? Like maybe we zoom out, maybe maybe saying us individually is a little extreme and close to home. Maybe we're just saying if you and I owned a Bitcoin mining company in the United States or we were an exchange in the United States, we worked for Swan Bitcoin or Coinbase yeah. or whatever. No, I understand where you're you going. You could get your... They can do a lot your, of damage. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. But... This thing is just going to arbitrage to the areas that are accepting of it. And I think that is, it's this tricky thing in Bitcoin because there is this element in this space. And I feel it too of like, I cast my vote by opting out of fiat. Okay. 
But I think if if you do get involved or you're, if someone's interested in getting involved in politics, that is the message that needs to be derived home. This is happening. Are you going to participate or are you not? Are you going to encourage people to innovate or are you going to impair innovation and regret it in the future? I think this is a really relevant conversation for the current state of things in general. I'm of the mind, though, that politics is going to be a lot less meaningful in the next 20 Mm. to 30 years. I think that this innovation specifically is going to detooth a whole lot of political matters in general. I think that politicians are going to lose a lot of power. And I think that's going to be a net benefit to most people in general. I know how I know where you're going with that, but can you fill our audience in on why you feel that's the case? I know you're kind of going with sovereign individual theory here, but fill in some of those gaps for members of the audience. They're like, why is that going to happen? Or why could that transpire? Well, I kind of like you just mentioned. So you said that you're voting by taking your money out of the fiat system. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. that people I don't think the, the average Joe who's just deciding to buy Bitcoin right now because he thinks it's going to go to $100,000 appreciates that fact. But everything that we do in this world is driven by incentives and politicians are no different. And when incentive structures change in vis-a-vis, people are voting with their dollars and they're moving them out of fiat into Bitcoin. And those Bitcoiners who have been holders for five to 10 years become enormously wealthy as Bitcoin's price rises significantly, mm-hmm. they'll be able to affect change on a political level in this current stratum that we live in, which I think will have the effect of kind of giving this a pass on regulation for the most part, hopefully. Mm-hmm. But if not, just simply exhausting the fiat system completely through disintermediating the ability for them to manipulate it by people simply voting to get out of it I mean, the power that they have is basically that everybody needs to have fiat, right? Mm-hmm. If, if in this, so a good example, just right off my top of my head, did you see that United uh, Wholesale Mortgage is deciding that they're going to take Bitcoin for mortgage payments in third quarter did of Did not see that. So if- By the way, have, you're an idiot if you pay for your mortgage in Bitcoin, but good for <laughs> yes, United Wholesale Mortgage. I mean, yeah, they're actually, they actually stated they're not holding Bitcoin on their balance sheet. They're turning it into fiat. But the point is, is that you're going to be able to pay with Bitcoin if you decide you want to. This is just another inch step forward to a a world where you actually could operate completely on Bitcoin, right? Now you could potentially pay your mortgage with it. You could potentially, Dan and I could potentially get paid by listeners in Bitcoin. Uh, What I'm trying to say is, I think that in the next five years, you're going to be actually be able to run an entire business without touching fiat. Yeah. When that happens, for sure. fiat is the tool for politicians' power. That's it, full stop. That's, that is their power. By pulling that away from them, politicians become screaming little men who are pontificating about nonsense that nobody cares about because they're literally giving up their power. Yeah. And That's what I mean. The, That's what I mean the, about this power structure changing. Here's where I think things become much more transparent and fair in the political governmental realm. The future I envision is a future in which the money printer is turned off. Bitcoin creates a world in which 
rampant debasement of your fiat is not possible because hyperinflation is a very real risk if you keep the printer going burr, right? That is the accountability that Bitcoin is going to create for sovereign nation states, all right? So step one, the money printer is going to slow down. Eventually, I think the money printer is going to get damn close to turning off. And so I envision a future in which uh, budgets, governmental budgets are funded strictly through tax dollars. There's no more ability for shadow taxing through inflation. And so this is where I totally resonate with what you just said. Politicians are going to be beholden to their taxpayers. If you want to implement a social program, if you want to build a road, if you want to buy another fire engine, you have to tax people to pay for it. And so taxpayers are going to become client or they're, they're going to become uh, voter, actual voters of what and how money is spent from the municipal level to the state level to the federal level. And that is something we're not seeing today. Congress can vote in 1.5. We're now moving to a potential $3.5 trillion stimulus bill. And I'm sure there's tons of good causes in there. I'm not maligning. I'm sure there's good intention. I'm sure there's great things that are going to happen, but they can. I'm sure it's all bullshit. They can write the check right now and figure out how to pay for it later because they have a money printer. In the year 2055, I don't believe that's going to be possible. And I think what is going to usher that change in is the Kraken. It is Bitcoin. Not only that, it's going to change the incentive structure of how local, small municipalities, states work, and the federal government all interact. Because right now- We're going to be out of a job, right? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) What I'm getting at, though, is that right now, the federal government holds a carrot in front of every state's nose and says, you're either going to do this, this, or this, or we're going to pull these federal funds. And then the state turns around and does the same thing to municipalities. And same thing, you're going to do this, this, and this, or we're going to pull this carrot from under your nose. It's going to flip completely on its head. The municipalities are going to have massively more power. And I think states will be more sovereign. And I'm, I guess this is kind of the more five to 10 year outlook in my mind. And the federal government is going to be massively diminished in their power because they're not going to be able to simply print money in order to incentivize states to do their bidding and on and on down to the municipalities. It's going to change the, the power structure in the next 10 years, I think, massively, at least on the municipal state to federal level. Hmm. Beyond That's that, really interesting. I've never thought about it that way. Beyond that, I think it gets a lot deeper. Right. It, that, man, that's a good point, Josh, because the village we work for, they don't have a money printer. No, right? they don't. They're, they're getting milk that's trickling down from teats <laughs> above stream. They're like the um, third layer tertiary hog on a teat. Yeah, and that so teat you're right. is only the available. Fe- the federal government holds... Uh, a degree, um, just a massive, massive degree of power, even even beyond its proportion of power, I guess is what I'm trying to articulate here, because yeah. of the fact that it has access to what I call the fourth branch of government, which is the Federal Reserve. Yep. So, uh, man, I've never thought about it that way, though. Once you turn that printer off, once there's that accountability hedge that keeps debasement, at least in check, 
it, it will regain sovereignty, man. Yeah. Very interesting. And then I think things get really interesting from there because I kind of think, I mean, we already see it. We see places like Miami and uh, Florida, Texas, Wyoming, places with kind of a forward thinking, progressive look on accepting Bitcoin and, and being kind of Bitcoin forward. In the world when the federal government's ability to print money is diminished, I think you see that separation massively, massively. Like there's going to be a huge rift there. And It'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. I think states will regain a lot of sovereignty that they've missed for a long time. I think it'll be back to the roots of this country. I mean, if you went back to the early 1800s, you would have been blown away at the differences between these these jurisdictions, even in this country. Yeah, I think people forget the, the states are at the center of the name of this country. The United States of America, and yeah, I and, think and originally each one of these states was a sovereign country. I mean, literally a sovereign country that were united by the federal government for just a couple of reasons: for a national army. Um, actually, I think that's about it. I don't even think there was more than that. It's literally, I mean, they each state had its own currency. Each state, I mean, there were private yeah. currencies run by state chartered banks. Yeah. Um, back in like the Civil War era. And no wonder we didn't start with a central bank. No wonder Dude, there most was, of these founding fathers detested the idea of a central bank. The central bank we have was the third attempt at a central bank in the United States. Andrew Jackson, I mean, think what you want about him. He did some pretty terrible stuff, but he killed the second national bank of the United States dead. And he took a bullet in the chest for it. The guy was a fucking badass. Bitcoin hero. Yeah, he would have loved Bitcoin. Um. Generic question, uh, rehashing our last month. We've had some really cool guests on. Uh, VJ Boyapati, Jeff Booth, Greg Foss, Dylan LeClaire, Odell. Foss on again. Um, some just really great conversations. What uh, stands out to you from our last, say, six conversations? I can't say that... I'm going to take the political route here a little bit. I loved each one of them had like some something to bring to the table that I thought was interesting and really, really kind of blew my mind. But I, I would have to say if I had to re talk to one of those guys again, it'd have to be Foss the boss because the the guy's just got a personality that's hilarious and contagious and he's wicked smart. And I, I do, I want to clear up a couple of things we talked about a little bit too. I think, I think not, not that I think he was wrong. I think that maybe I misunderstood or I don't completely understand what the hell he was talking about, to be totally honest. Like, I want to really clear some things up and, and dig deeper into, into some of his thoughts. How about you? Yeah, he was a great guest. I think the just digging into the asymmetry of Bitcoin and his article about Bitcoin and bonds. And then what he talked with us about on the show, just this idea that, you know, he's, he's been on record saying, even if there's a 70% chance Bitcoin eventually trades at $0, this is a great trade because of the possible upside it could capture. And I'm often looking for lines of reasoning and arguments to get people off of zero. Hey, go from zero to 1% of your allocation. And I think the way that he fills that in with this idea of this asymmetry is just absolutely brilliant. 
And he also just does such a good job of explaining and enumerating the sectors of the, the economy that Bitcoin could capture. Um, yeah, he's a brilliant mind. Uh, the, the Jeff Booth conversation was downright scary. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I bought some more ammo after I, we had that conversation. <laughs> great. I mean, but I think Jeff, if you really sit down and let Jeff's message marinate, he, he speaks directly to our demographic. People in the middle class that are on the hamster wheel and feel that it's speeding up and wonder yeah. why. His whole, his whole thesis surrounding the deflationary environment we're in and how that's, that's uh, increasing steadily is such an important message for people in, in our world to grasp. So I also love that. But man, it's hard to pick. And then, I mean, Dylan LeClaire, the kid's 20 years old. I mean, I, need, I, I, I tweeted at him and, uh, and Will, and I was like, we need to see some birth certificates, boys. There's no freaking way you're this age. And we chatted with him some before the conversation started. He's a great example of knowledge is power, man. The kid just reads nonstop. He's, he's inhaling information for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that's you realize why he's, that he just started this like last March. Like, yeah. Incredible, man. Incredible, incredible depth of knowledge for such a short period of time. Yeah. Shout out to all these people for joining us. Seriously. Thank you for coming on. I'm sure we'll have conversations with them again. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, we have a really exciting September coming up. Um, yeah, we even have, um, I don't want to, I don't want to reveal too much, but we have quite an interesting conspiracy theory to talk about as well. Yeah. We got some exciting stuff coming. Stay tuned <laughs> folks. I Another thing I wanted like to it. touch on, what we won't keep, we'll, we'll try to make this a shorty, but a goodie. Uh, I've been thinking some more about Ethereum and I am kind of awestruck at how obsessed much of the Ethereum community is with competing with the use case of Bitcoin. Like you'd think that at, at this point, they would have learned and understood and grokked the fact that they are on a different playing field. I'm not saying there's not a game being played there. There is, and maybe there's some value capture in that arena. But the fact that they really and truly think they are competing with Bitcoin as sound money blows my mind. I don't yeah, get it. They have a 7% inflation rate in perpetuity, folks. Like that, that is not sound money. That is worse than the current situation we're living in right now. Well, arguably, I guess. But... At least, well, I, at least you know what the inflation rate is, and it's outright. You know, and, yeah. Here's and where, where we're think, living now. No one knows. Here's what I here's what I think is confusing a lot of these Ethereum folk, and I'll try to be as respectful as possible because we always stay, dude. It's selling above the, book, the belt man. here. Um, they so there's this whole fifteen fifty nine that's rolling out. Ethereum 2.0, they're doing this whole, they're, they're making so many changes right now. And I do know, I'm not remotely close to being an Ethereum expert, but that they are burning ETH now. Like they have started to burn ETH. And so there's this whole move towards like, this stuff's going to end up being even scarcer than Bitcoin. Just you wait <laughs> kind of thing, right? We're, destro we're destroying some of the currency. Uh-huh. 
he, I heard Lynn Alvin this week. It was on Swan Signal Live. She was on with Elise Colleen. It was, it's an older episode. It's a few weeks old, but these two women are just geniuses. And I, I love hearing both of them talk about Bitcoin. And what Lynn, what Lynn Alden was saying about Ethereum is that she gave this hypothetical situation. So she was kind of talking about ETH 1559 and the fact that they're burning this stuff and they're claiming that it's, it's going to be more scarce. Trust me, right? Uh -huh. So she gave this awesome example. She said, think of a hypothetical scenario where the Federal Reserve guarantees that the issuance of fiat will not exceed 1.5%, okay? Now, the annual introduction of gold on the stock to flow about 2.5% of total supply gets introduced in gold. So theoretically, if the Federal Reserve said, we're not going to go of one, above 1 1.5%, you'd now have fiat, quote unquote, scarcer than gold. Would that make fiat more valuable and a better store of value than gold? Fuck no, it wouldn't. Because her point is that future predictability is, is paramount for a reliable store of value right? If something is tamper resistant and totally trustworthy, then it can enter the arena of sound money. But when something has repeatedly proven over and over again, that it's base layer fundamentals, the base protocol, the issuance schedule can be changed, which Ethereum has repeatedly demonstrated and is demonstrating currently. If those base rules continue to be violated, there's no way it enters that category. And that's where for me, Josh, I'm just like, we're talking about a protocol in Bitcoin that's never changed, right? The right. base consensus rules have never changed. And we're looking at another protocol that's changing every couple of years. And one camp is arguing that they're in the right. same category as the other. It's insanity. The, I mean, <clears throat> the point you're making here is that it's at the will of whoever's in charge, right? And the problem is that there is somebody in charge. You have Vitalik, the Ethereum Foundation. These people can literally change whatever parameter they want and they can hard fork it whenever they feel like and they do quite often. And interestingly enough, there's actually unintended hard forks happening because the consensus rules are completely fucked. They've got nodes running software that other nodes aren't recognizing and hard forking it unintendedly. Like that's a serious problem. And yeah. anyone in the space that's taking, I mean, I, I completely understand why people like Ethereum and why they think it has merit. I, the decentralized stuff that's going on is interesting. And I think it's, it's definitely got a place in the world, but it needs something stable. It needs something that people can rely on and people understand and that people can actually run a legitimate node on for Christ's sake. Like that is 101 in this stuff. If, if I can't run an Ethereum node, then what the fuck are we talking about here? Yeah. If everything on Ethereum is running on Amazon Web Services, it is literally one click away from government control turning the entire thing off. And that is resoundingly the point of all of this. Yeah, dude, that's like great. I mean, I, I in that same Swan, converse, Swan Signal Live conversation, uh, Elise Colleen said something to the effect of people in Bitcoin have digested what decentralization actually means. And most people in Ethereum are just using the word decentralization without fully understanding what it means and what its implications are. And 
Here's the trouble with these utility tokens. And this is this that we, we won't go super far down this rabbit hole, but with these utility tokens like Ethereum being decentralized in name, but centralized in practice is going to help your business model because decentralization is freaking expensive, mm-hmm. right? I mean, a proof yeah. of work decentralized system like Bitcoin is incredibly exp- expensive to maintain and that's why it's robust and that's why it's secure. And I feel like a lot of these shit coins are using the word decentralized, but if you pop the hood open, you'll see that the motor doesn't run that way whatsoever. And yeah. Ethereum is moving dangerously closer and closer to that direction where to even use the word decentralized is, is increasingly maybe not a fair description. Yep. I don't own any Ethereum. I've actually wanted to. Like, I, I, there's, a, there's a spot in my mind that's like, this makes so much sense for this whole decentralized system that's going on. Like, I would love to, to own some, to be honest with you. I'd like to. But every time I think about it deeper and I, I read about what's really going on under the hood, like you just said, I can't bring myself to own any of that stuff because it just doesn't seem like they're running an operation that is going to last in the long run. And I'm, I've done enough trading in my time to know that I'm just not a trader. Like I'll make the wrong decision pretty much at all the wrong times. And so holding for the long term is my MO. And in the cryptocurrency space, the only thing that I feel comfortable with holding in the long term at this day is certainly Bitcoin. And it's the only thing that I will own in crypto. And um, I don't see that changing anytime soon, to be totally honest. Yeah, we'll keep learning. We'll keep our eyes peeled and, and keep exploring. But I think uh, at least this year, the more I dig, the less interested I am. Um, you know, the, the I, only guy that ever, the only, the only talking head that I like to listen to, I still listen to him quite a bit. And he's a huge Ethereum dude, uh, Ral Paul. You ever listen mm-hmm. to his stuff? I mean, actually, we should try to get him on. I'd be interested to pick his brain yeah, a little bit about this. I would but too. he's a really intelligent dude, Goldman Sachs alum. Like, guy's been crushing it for years. He's, he's had the complete right idea on the macroeconomic space on this. He moved everything into Bitcoin like October of last year and just fucking crushed it, right? And then he flipped into Ethereum and now he's dealing with all kinds of shit coins. And like, I'm not questioning his intelligence whatsoever. Like, the trade might be sound, like in the short term. And he's a total trader. Like, this guy is probably making a good decision for his short term play. Right. But I, that just isn't my style. I don't think it's your style. No. I just don't think that I want to play those games. I just want to buy a valuable asset that I think is going to be way more valuable in 10 to 20 years. Sit on it and ride the wave. Yeah, that's, I think that's a good clarification to make. We don't advise anyone trade. But if you're trading, absolutely. I mean, if, if Ethereum... Maybe they do pull off the gymnastics and solve this DeFi problem, and maybe it is super valuable in the future. But even if it's not, even if it's a total fuck-up, there's so many things that are going to ride the coattails of this just unbelievable discovery in Bitcoin that we we have no idea when this stuff's going to implode. Is Dogecoin eventually going to implode? Yes, Yes. it is. It's going to implode. It has no fundamentals. Is that going to happen next week or 12 years from now? I have no idea. I just know I'm trying to make a decades-long trade. I'm trying to build generational wealth for me and my family. 
And Same. Bitcoin is the answer to me building generational wealth. Based on my research and intuition, Ethereum is not. But DYOR, do your own research, folks. Have you thought about buying JPEGs for $100,000? Like, I think that some of these like 8-bit JPEGs are going to be worth millions, millions of dollars in 10 years. Come on. Maybe trillions if we keep printing the way we are. Probably. Yeah. I, yeah. It's Jeff Bezos is probably buying them all up. He's a genius. Josh, let's get you to bed. You're on duty tomorrow, right? I am. Yeah. Are you, I need my uh, duty rest. you on the ambulance? You on the engine? Where are you at tomorrow? I think I'll be on the box tomorrow. That's okay. slang for the ambulance for the uninitiated. We are firefighter paramedics, and at the agency we work at, we rotate vehicles our entire career. One day you're driving a fire truck. The next day you are on driving the Driving old ladies to the hospital. Yeah. A little bit of everything. Well, uh, I hope you get toes. a wonderful night's rest. Um, it's been a pleasure. I hope your day goes well tomorrow. I enjoyed this rip session talking about... Too. The most important discovery mankind has made in we can it's years. five hundred years since the printing yeah, press. You heard it here. Yeah. All right, Dan, let's sign out. Take care, folks. Thanks for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at blue underscore collar BTC. We invite questions, comments, and inquiries of any kind, and our email is bluecollarbitcoinpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to you joining us next time on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast.